Well, hello out there. My name is Joe Byrne. I'm a senior tax manager here in Barry Dunn's not-for-profit tax practice group. I am thrilled to be joined today by my esteemed colleagues, Emily Parker and Katie Belukas, as we present to you the first of what we hope are many podcasts, specifically focus on the various accounting, audit, and tax issues encountered by nonprofit organizations. A little bit about myself. I've been with the firm now for just about 18 years and have uh, a specific focus in the nonprofit tax sector for about 15 of the last 18 years. And I will now welcome Emily and Katie. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Joe. My name is Emily Parker. I'm a principal in the not-for-profit group at Barry Dunn. I I audit, consult, do those types of things for -for not-for-profit clients. Katie? Yes, thank you, Emily. Uh, my name is Katie Belukas. I'm a senior manager in the not-for-profit group. I've been working with not-for-profit and governmental entities for about 14 years now, doing financial statement, uniform guidance audits, as well as a variety of accounting and consulting engagements. Excellent. So today's session is going to specifically focus on audit readiness and uh, being a, the the tax guy in the room, that word audit has an entirely different meaning to me. And I'm not quite sure readiness is a word I would ever uh, join with that. But today specifically, we're talking about financial statement audit readiness, particularly when you are encountering turnover within your organization. Um, this is an issue we're seeing a lot these days. It definitely is. I know operationally, one of the first things we recommend that our clients do when they have turnover, which unfortunately has been sort of on the upswing over the past couple of years, we recommend, of course, that you uh, look at the access rights that the employee had. You know, are they able to sign bank statements? Do they have access to your payroll records? You can button those things up very quickly, the, the shorter the time frame between um, when the individual leaves and when that access is removed really improves your internal controls. Same with any other, you know, access to your office buildings, things like that. Katie, what what are your thoughts? Yes, and I think also too, just taking a look at the overall internal control cycles to see what key reviews were they performing? What key roles did they have in order to verify that you still are maintaining segregation and duties after they leave? as well as verifying that there's appropriate mitigating controls for any of the areas where just given the fact that you are down one person, you don't have maybe three or four people to spread out the duty. So making sure that you have those mitigating controls in place in order to continue to get by, keep the lights on, as well as maintain segregation of duties during the period of time where you have that vacancy. So let's say I'm an organization and the CFO or the controller leaves. Uh, we're two weeks after year end. The audit's coming up in six weeks. What do I do? Yes, and unfortunately, that's something that has happened a few times this year with some of our clients where, yes, the CFO has left right after year end and your audit is still right around the corner. And given the schedules of auditors, it's very hard to move an audit out. Um, So ultimately, it's trying to get your organization as ready as possible when the auditors walk through the door. So really, the area that I would start with is starting with your month end or year end checklist in order to identify your key balance sheet areas and where you are with each of those reconciliations. Um, If you don't have a month end or year end checklist, another good area to start would be your schedule request that the auditors had provided from the prior year in order to make sure that you're looking at the key areas that they'll be looking at and expecting to see support for. 
Um, so really what you'll want to do with each of the areas is ask yourself who's preparing the reconciliations, who's reviewing, and then is there any pre-audit work that should be done on any of those areas to verify the data? Um, ultimately, with the preparing of reconciliations, it would be looking to see, are you one, two months behind, or are you a full year behind on the reconciliations? Because ultimately, the level of effort that's needed to get you caught up on reconciliations does vary if you're a full year behind versus it's really just that year-end um, reconciliation that needs to be prepared. With the review function, that's certainly something that if you lost a CFO or a controller, you ultimately lost the individual that was preparing a lot of those reviews. Um, and then for pre-audit work, that would be looking to see, do you do cutoff procedures over your payables or do you do procedures over your fixed assets to verify that you've captured every addition? Um, and so ultimately, those are things that, yes, this is what you do internally. But as a firm at Barry Dunn, we do have the resources available if you get to a situation where, yes, you have not reconciled um, grants receivable for your full year. We have the resources available that would be able to come right in, help provide that additional um, assistance to your accounting team and help you get caught up on your reconciliations. Um, and we also have the ability to provide any type of review or leadership as it relates to really when you think about losing that CFO or that controller that brought everything together. Um, but another piece that I think gets forgotten is really that communication with the auditors. Um, that's a key area where you can certainly reach out to your auditors to obtain prior year schedules. So that way you know that you're starting with the current version. You're starting with where the audit left off. Um, certainly, sometimes if you lose a CFO or controller, they may have been the person that provided all of the support to the auditors in the past, and you may not have access to all of their files. So that's certainly something that your auditors have that information and are available to help and want to help you get through this process and provide any resources that they can. I think that's a really good point. The first thing I would do in that position is definitely reach out to my auditor, talk about the situation. And I agree, Katie, the timing and scheduling is often quite difficult to move with short term notice. But I also know auditors have no interest in auditing information that is not prepared and ready for them. Um, the other piece that I would often recommend to my clients if they are in a position where this turnover has happened at one of these key moments and you're still trying to get your arms around the controls that might be missing is to really take a look at, for example, what you provide the auditor has someone obviously has prepared it. Is there a second person that has done a documented review that we can show the reconciliations? Yes, were completed, but also that documented review was also retained. Sounds to me, and this seems to be the golden rule with any sort of uh, relationship, a professional one, that it's that communication is so key. You don't want to just wait for the auditors to sort of show up at the door before we let them know the CFO left a couple of weeks ago, right? So honest communication upfront makes a big difference. 100%. That is always our goal. You know, whether a turnover has happened or not, this communication is the best way to keep this relationship positive and moving forward. Okay. So... Let's say this isn't the first time this has happened. <laughs> maybe we've had our CFO, like maybe the last three CFOs have left, uh, you know, and it's caused this kind of backup on the financial statement audit side. What do we do? Do we need to, as an organization, need to do a little bit of soul searching inward as to why does this keep happening? How do we prevent this turnover from happening continuously? 
Yes, I think it does start by looking in. Certainly, if you do exit interviews, that's certainly a way to get some information, but not everybody's going to be honest in an exit interview, actually tell you why they're leaving. But I think starting with an exit interview and then looking inward to see what is really going on. Is it the fact that our employees are burnt out? Have we been short staffed for one to two years now? And ultimately, we haven't been able to catch up. Um, is it a situation where maybe we are not able to pay like a for-profit entity is? Is it something related to the benefits? So I think in those instances, it's looking to come up with what are your differentiators? What really set you apart from other organizations that would be able to help recruit somebody into that position? But I think really starting with, is there something fundamentally off with this position? Is there too much responsibility? Is there too many um, roles that we're expecting this person to take over, but also is it something where we need some additional resources to help alleviate some of that stress? Um, I don't know, Emily, is there anything else? The other thing that comes to mind for me, I think you hit on really some key points about what's happening and what we're seeing with turnover at some organizations. It's also a difficult market for finding talented um, accounting personnel. Uh, one thing that we have seen that's worked for organizations is really hiring the person and bringing the skill on after, you know, if you find a capable person that is a good fit culturally and uh, has some of the basic skills that you need, you can also grow them into the position. I know, for example, Katie, you've worked on a project around grants management where we're able to come in and sort of help lift the burden of that responsibility or maybe grow, help grow the person into the ability to do that on their own uh, with the help of, professionals that are already experts in the area. Do financial statement audits help to identify these sorts of issues as well? Like if you go in and you do a financial statement, audit, are you able to identify if maybe someone's not the best fit for something? And do we offer recommendations if we see something like that as part of our engagement? We often get asked about that when there's a new uh, individual that's hired into a role. And we are able to provide some really good perspective, I think, because we work with so many different not-for-profits. We can see the different levels of expertise that people have. Uh, and we are able to provide some feedback there. Yes. And I think we also get asked the question of, is our finance team, do we have the right number of people? Is the finance team adequate for the size of our organization, the complexity of our organization? Since we do work with many similar entities, we are aware of what is an optimal size? How many people do you really need in each of the roles within a finance team? So that's certainly something that we're asked a lot. And we have a lot of experience from working with all different size entities in order to help an organization really right size for the future. So it sounds, again, it's it's that honest communication back and forth between the organization and, and the audit firm. Uh, that communication is just so important. Um, before we wrap up, any any last thoughts on this topic? Well, from my perspective, I think we have hit on a few things here that will lead into future podcasts. We hope you'll join us again. I know we're going to be talking about grants management as one of those, for example. And Joe, I'm sure we're going to have a few great not-for-profit tax topics coming our way. Soon. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be doing one of those probably next week, I think. We'll be doing a tax podcast. So uh, we hope you join us for the next one. This one's been great. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we hope you have a great day. Bye.